0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 37, verses 10 through 40. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows, to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has, than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous in gifts. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice the law of his god is in his heart his steps do not slip the wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death the lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial wait for the lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land you will look on when the wicked are cut off i have seen a wicked ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Please join me in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you are a God who is not hidden and who is not silent. But you are a God who speaks. You are a God who reveals yourself in mercy and grace and kindness that we might know you, that we might know the way of life. And so we pray that as we now turn our attention to your word, that you would attend unto us by your spirit, that we would see wonderful things in your word, and that mostly we would see, chiefly we would see Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. I realize that the four and five-year-olds were just dismissed for Children's Church, but what I would like us to do is try to imagine our four- and five-year-old self, which some of you, that might be fairly easy, and others, it might be a little difficult. But uh, try to imagine yourself as a four- or five-year-old. You and I, we go into a room, and I place one marshmallow on a table, and I tell you that you can eat this marshmallow right now, or if you wait 15 minutes, I'll come back and I'll give you another marshmallow. And I get up and I walk out of the room. Now, you don't have to answer this, you know, like by a show of hands or whatever, but think of your four and five year old self. How many of you just eat the marshmallow immediately? (laughs) How many of you sit for a bit, but you kind of start to squirm and It looks really good. And so you just eat the marshmallow. How many of you wait 15 minutes? This is what uh, a Stanford uh, team of researchers did. It was kind of a famous test known as the marshmallow test. Uh, And 14 years after this initial test, the kids that waited or showed restraint did better in life. Better test scores, less likely to to abuse substances better socially, uh, more likely to handle stress better. The ability to show restraint, to see a bigger picture, a bigger goal, to delay gratification, to wait, to live in a way that is oriented toward a certain future, a two-marshmallow future rather than a one-marshmallow present, actually is pretty important to live well. We looked at Psalm 37 last week, and we, I said that Psalm 37 is a wisdom psalm, and wisdom literature in the Bible is concerned to help people know how to live well in God's world. It is practical wisdom for life. This psalm is also an acrostic psalm, which means that it's organized by the Hebrew alphabet. So, you know, if we were gonna take an English example, the first line of the poem would start with a word that starts with A, and then the next line of the poem would have to start with a word that starts with B, and so on. And so what you have in this psalm is sort of an A to Z of how to live in a world with evil. Now, one of the uh, difficulties for us is it kind of just looks random. Like, perhaps as we were even reading this psalm, you'll see threads and themes kind of interweaving throughout because the, the arrangement of it is not arranged logically, but it's arranged by the Hebrew alphabet. Last week, when we looked at the beginning of this psalm, the main focus that we, that we took for that time and for that sermon was thinking about the practical side of things. How is it that we live in a world with evil? How do we live in a world where things are not the way it is supposed to be? And we looked specifically at what we are not to do. Responses that we could say are very easy and almost come natural. Things that we have to restrain from like envying those who get ahead by using evil and maybe even being drawn in likewise to do what they do so we can have what they have. We must not turn inward with the anger and stew with it but rather we are to turn upward to God. And specifically the Psalm uses God's personal covenantal name, Yahweh. Whenever you see in this text, Lord all in capital letters, that's God's personal name, Yahweh. This is the God who acted in history, whose character can be known and therefore trusted. We are to turn to this person, to Yahweh, to delight in him, to wait for him, to be silent before him, to trust him. And then the psalm said we are to do good. We're, We're to be constructive in our situation, in our context. We are to seek to do good where we can. But one of the other things that Psalm 37 gives us that I want us to think about this morning is the perspective that we need to live out the practical we saw last week. If you were listening and following along this morning as we read the rest of this psalm, the ability to do what we talked about last week is at times going to be extremely difficult. Because as we just read, there will be situations and seasons where if you are a person who trusts in Yahweh and you seek to wait upon him, you may be attacked. You may face hostility. You may feel threatened. There is evil in the world. And it's one thing to say, don't take up the way of evil. Don't let it make you bitter. Trust God and do good. But how can you do that when the reality of evil is pressing upon your very life? One, one of the themes in this psalm that, that if you read it again, you'll see it over and over and over again, is the theme of the land. That may not mean as much to us, but we have to step inside an Israelite's shoes for a minute and think, how incredibly significant was the land to Israel? I mean, it was significant spiritually. This was the land that God gave. It was significant in terms of your family and your identity. It was passed from generation to generation. This was your home. This is where you worked. It's where you grew up. It's what you were going to pass to your children and to your grandchildren. It was significant for your daily food and for your economic life long-term well-being, what are you supposed to do when your identity, your family, and the thing that determined whether you were wealthy or poor is threatened by evil? And what are you supposed to do with evil and those who are willing to use evil, who are willing to cheat or bend the rules or stray from what is just and good, to take that which is core to you, core to who you are spiritually, and family, and identity, and, and your ability to provide. I'm not going to get into the show a whole bunch, but anyone who watches Yellowstone can imagine the challenge I'm talking about. I mean, that is a show, a modern show drama, that is about land, and identity, and the tools and weapons of evil used to fight over those things. Psalm 37 not only gives us the practical stuff that we thought about last week, but it gives us the perspective that we need to actually live out those practical things, that we need to see our lives from the perspective of the end, because in the end, the only thing that is going to last is God. God, the source of all good, the source of goodness itself, he is going to last, and so the wicked and their way of life has to be seen from the vantage point of that end. And the righteous, those who trust in God and wait upon him, they have to see their lives from that perspective. In other words, if you are going to live well, if you are going to live wisely, you need a long view. You need a view of the end, And of the God who is at work helping you, keeping you, and sustaining you if you're gonna live in a world with real evil. So I want us to look at this psalm together. We're not gonna be able to cover every verse, but I want us to look at this larger section of these verses that was read and consider two themes. First, the wicked, their life and fate. And then, second, the righteous their hope and helper. So first, let's think about the wicked, their life and faith. Faith. Let me say too, I realize that depending on how familiar you are with the Bible, these categories might just sound so extreme. Like, aren't we more complicated than either wicked or righteous? And in a sense, yeah. We're we're complicated. People are complicated. But wisdom literature and the Bible does this thing for a very important purpose. It makes this really strong contrast to instruct and to clearly lay out. There are these two paths. And if you were with us earlier in the summer, Psalm 1, the beginning of the Psalter, does this very same thing. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, The Great Divorce, writes this. There is but one good, that is God. Everything else is good when it looks to him, but bad when it turns from him. And I think we see this in our psalm, because the wicked, I would say, the wicked live without reference to God. And one of the ways that we see that is they live not thinking about the end. So if you look at verse 12, they plot against the righteous. Verse 14, they use their weapons to prey on the needy and the vulnerable. Verse 21, they borrow, but they don't pay back. And the picture you get as you kind of amass all of these details is people who will get ahead by any means necessary. They don't think about God. They don't concern themselves with what is truly good. They don't consider where this is all headed. They don't consider the trajectory of their choices and who they are becoming. And there are seasons of life where this approach really seems to work. Verse 35 of our psalm, for a time, they seem like they're flourishing like a tree. They seem prosperous and fruitful. They, they seem rooted and like they have a sturdiness and a security. But in the end, it is doomed Fail because if one turns from God from the source of life, there is no security and rootedness, there is no flourishing in life that will last. And the writer wants everyone to have this perspective that you can't just look at the present, you have to look ahead, you have to look at the trajectory of where this is going, you have to look at the end. Because again and again, we're told in this psalm, verse 13. Yahweh sees that his day is coming. Verse 20, the wicked will perish, they will vanish, their glory will disappear like smoke. Verse 22, 28, 34, 37, they will be cut off. One of my professors uh, in grad school used to say, that the story in which we live our lives and we do life is fundamentally a moral drama. And you could ask all sorts of people and you would get all sorts of answers. What is life really about? There are, in a sense, probably almost as many perspectives as there are people. Life is about money. Life is about success. Life is about feeling good. Life is about doing whatever makes you feel happy. We just keep going on and on. Everyone thinks what they think. Everyone has their take on things. But if there is a God who made all things and who made you, then there is actually a take that is the take the way things really are, what life is really about. And from God's perspective, we live in a moral drama. And these are some of the most fundamental questions in this life and story. Will we trust the Lord? Will we listen to him? Will we learn to love what is good, namely God himself? Or will we turn? from God? Will we trust ourselves and our way and what seems good to us? Again, C.S. Lewis, I love the way he puts it in Mere Christianity. Listen to these words. People often think of Christian morality as a kind of bargain in which God says, if you keep a lot of the rules, I'll reward you, and if you don't, I'll do that other thing. I do not think that is the best way of looking at it. I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment Is progressing to the one state or the other. This is what I think this psalm is trying to show us and this is the thing that it seems from this psalm the wicked just do not want to think about. They don't want to think about where their choices are headed. They don't see that the weapons of evil that they are willing to use, verse 15, that they're going to come back down on them. That their sword will enter their own heart. That the seeds that they have sown with their lives, they're going to reap. That if you're drawn to use evil, that those weapons of evil are going to turn on you. They're gonna pierce your own life. I mean, just think like really practically and very simply for a moment. If you use godless, controlling anger in a relationship, a problem in a relationship with a spouse, with a friend, at work, with your kids. You are sowing seeds of evil. Do you think you will reap good? Most of us, probably at some point in our lives, have experienced using godless, controlling anger to get something we want, and it backfires on us. And if it backfires on us and we feel that, that is actually really good. Because what is a life? Of consistently choosing in that direction going to end up. When I think what's being described here of what's being described in this psalm and, and what C.S. Lewis puts so well, I can't help but think of one of my all-time favorite shows, which I've mentioned before is Breaking Bad. I mean, this is an entire show about the transformation of the main character. A man who goes from helpless harmless, and weak, to violent, ruthless, and almost pure evil, and it happens one choice at a time. Hardship and suffering hit Walter White's life, a terminal cancer diagnosis, And initially, he wants to do good. All he wants to do, the way he justifies his choices, is he wants to provide for his family. I must provide for my family. And so he's a chemistry genius. And so he gets into making methamphetamine. But again, and again, Walter is presented with these choices, and it was interesting, I was reading an article from a year ago. The show has been done for probably almost 10 years at this point, but the creator, Vince Gillian, was reflecting a decade later on his show and on his main character, saying how much he kind of dislikes Walter the more and more he goes. Because as you know, characters kind of evolve like people. They're almost very real if it's a good character. And he says there was so many times where Walt was presented with a choice where his friend wanted to help him out, to provide for him, to, to, to give him the treatment that he needed. And Walt, in his pride, would not receive it. And again and again, he chose evil. And the one thing that he wanted to do, provide for his family a future and a life at the end. They want nothing to do with him. And he dies at the end by what his own hand has created. The wicked's sword will enter their own heart. Interestingly, Vince Gillian, the creator of this show, who identifies himself as as an agnostic, famously said in the New York Times interview uh, during the show, so probably uh, eight, 10 years ago, he said, I want to believe in heaven, but I can't not believe there's a hell. We know that life and our choices have consequences like there's a moral order, there's a moral fabric, and you transgress that, and and you defy that to your own demise, and evil cannot last. It boomerangs back around and consumes those who seek to profit by it. This is what the psalm is trying to show us on the one hand, I think so that anyone who's reading it, perhaps, and is being drawn in by evil or realizes that they live as if God is irrelevant and just doesn't matter, that they would perhaps wake up to see the end and to see where all of this is going. But then, for those who do trust God,
0: that they would not
1: be tempted and lured in to use the tools of evil, that they would see that evil is living on borrowed time, that its expiration date has been set they would live in light of the end. Let's let's consider the second theme that we see in the psalm, the righteous, their hope and helper. So if the wicked live without reference to God, that is without reference to God or the end where all this is going, this is the very perspective that orients the righteous. At the core, the fundamental difference is the righteous are those who trust Yahweh, who look to him, They don't look to themselves. They don't look to how they can control or manipulate things. They hope and they trust in Yahweh. Look at the last two verses of this psalm. The salvation of the righteous is from Yahweh. He is their stronghold and in the time of trouble. Yahweh helps them, and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. They take refuge in Yahweh. And so there is this rootedness of their lives. It means one thing, I think they can get by without as much as others. You see this in verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has. They're they're different. We see in verse 21 and 26, they lend money and they're generous. The, The wicked borrows and doesn't pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Verse 26, he is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. And I think, right, as we think about this psalm, they do this because their ultimate hope and their ultimate security is not in the things of this world, but it is in God. And because of this rootedness, they are going to endure. They're going to last. And so we read, look at verse 27, 28, and 29. You see this repetition of forever. They dwell forever. They are preserved forever. And God is not just some prize at the end of life, but as this whole psalm proclaims, he is their current helper and sustainer. Throughout the psalm, we read of Yahweh's present, active, helping, keeping, protecting of those who seek refuge in him. Which means this morning if you are here as someone who trusts in the god of the bible you trust in jesus god upholds your life he knows you he keeps you he establishes you he helps you he will not forsake you he will not abandon you he delights in you he keeps your feet firm and established you may have ups and downs in life you may even trip and stumble at some point, but you will not fall in such a way that you cannot recover because God upholds you. And this is the perspective that the righteous, those who trust in the Lord, must see, and in light of the end, what they must see to live now in a world with evil. There was a book published in 2020 Um, I just recently heard about it. It's called Everything Sad is Untrue by Daniel Nairi. I began reading it this past week. Uh, It's a story about an Iranian refugee family. The author writes this story about his own life from the perspective of his 12-year-old self. It's the true story of his mother, who was a doctor in uh, Iran, she was wealthy, she was from a very important family with a lot of means and wealth in Iran, and she becomes a Christian, and so she must flee with her two children because of her faith in Jesus. She has to leave everything. She has to leave her family, she has to leave her home, her money, her security, her job, because she was going to be killed because of her faith in Jesus. And it is a story about their family, and, and the pain, and the suffering, and the difficulty of what they experienced of leaving their home, and being in a refugee camp, and then eventually coming in, in, into the United States, but really having nothing compared to what they used to have and live off of. And toward the end of the book, the author, Daniel, he writes this about his mother, who's really the hero of the story. He writes... The legend of my mom is that she can't be stopped. Not when you hit her. Not when a whole country of goons puts her in a cage. Not even if you make her poor and try to kill her slowly in the little by little poison of sadness. And the legend is true, I think, because she fixed her eyes on something beyond the rivers of blood, to a beautiful place on the other side. How else would anyone do it? She fixed her eyes on Jesus. Jesus, God in person in our world, who willingly came into this world and lived a life of true and perfect righteousness in a world that was bent in a world that was crooked, in a world with evil set against him, he came and lived this psalm. In John chapter 18, Jesus is standing before the Roman governor, Pilate. And he's already experienced what the psalm has talked about. He's experienced the wicked plotting against him, gnashing their teeth at him. They have used and they will use their weapons of evil, lies violence and hatred against him and he is before pilate and pilate asks him are you a king and why what have you done why are you standing before me and jesus says my kingdom is not of this world and by that he didn't mean my kingdom is spiritual rather than physical and earthly what he means is my kingdom is not rooted in the ways of this world it is not established and advanced by the tools and weapons of violence, like Rome and the kingdoms of this world. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is going to come and it is going to spread because of my sacrificial love. Because I'm going to give myself, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to face the consequences and the judgment against evil. It's going to fall on me so that those who turn to Yahweh, who entrust themselves to Yahweh in the flesh can be forgiven and set free from evil and have peace. This is what Jesus did for you. He will not fail you. He will not abandon you. Fix your eyes upon him. Look to him. Trust him. He says, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who look to Yahweh, who entrust themselves to Yahweh, who hope in Yahweh, for they shall inherit the earth. Amen. Let me invite us all to turn to a time of prayer. Every week, when we hear God speak through His Word, by the power of the Spirit, God is at work in our hearts and our lives, reorienting us, bringing conviction of sin, pointing out things in us that are not of him. This is our opportunity to turn to the God who knows us, who loves us, to be honest with him about those things, to confess our sins, to ask for his help. He delights to forgive us and to help us. Let's spend a few moments in silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in prayer in a minute's time.